Welcome, everybody, to the Chinchilla Pickin' Podcast. It is February the 24th, 2024, at 2.04 p.m. That's a lot of twos and fours. As always, we hope to be entertaining, educational, and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. My name is David Underwood, and I am joined by the one and only, the Baron of Bonds, Brandon Beaver. Brandon, how are you? Doing all right. How about you? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. Got a Got a lot of stuff done so far today. Got still more stuff to do. Uh, enjoying February. Not not too cold uh, for Cincinnati, but uh, it has had its cold moments. So well, Yeah, and it's been, you know, normal Ohio weather. So we were nearing 70 degrees last week. Now we're at 35, 36 degrees for the high today. Uh, we're going to go back up into the 60s mid next week and then come right back down again. So. Yep, back and forth, back and forth. We live it. We love it. Uh, we're still here. I don't know. I don't that. know if we love it. I mean, I we're, uh, yeah. Never mind. Retract that statement. Uh, nope. Nothing big happening in, in sports news that I'm aware of this this week. I mean, got the Olympics coming up. That's gonna be a fun thing to cover. Paris is still riddled with bed bugs, as they've had a surge in that la- uh, last year. So I don't know what they're trying to do with uh, the Olympics coming to town. I don't know. Did you I even know the Olympics know. were this year and that they were in Paris? No, I didn't know. I had no I, idea. I, the I look didn't. on your face just now told me that. Um, I've been to quite a few countries in Europe and Asia and here in the Americas with Canada and the United States, obviously. And I'm not trying to insult anybody when I say this. There were some really, really, really awesome places that uh, I visited in in Europe. Amsterdam actually was surprisingly my favorite. London was great. Paris is um, the most dirty, the most dirty city I've ever seen in my life. Well, hopefully they clean it up for the Olympics. Yeah, <laughs> we'll we'll see. It is an old city though, but so is London. London's old too. So. Yeah, it's very old. Yeah. All right. Well, let's talk about stock news and investments, shall we? Let's talk about that. Uh, So, yeah, right. That's why people are listening. Um, Rules, rules, rules. Brandon and I get together five to ten minutes before the show, and we tell each other what we're going to talk about. You actually hear the live back and forth right here on the show. Brandon's going to take it away with his favorite subject of his favorite stock holding. Berkshire Hathaway, probably from my cold, dead hands. Right. Well, they, the earnings were released uh, today, and so was the annual letter. Um, they posted operating earnings, and this is what Buffett refers, you know, prefers to look at. Um, and this is profits uh, from businesses across insurance, railroads, and utilities. That was $8.481 billion for the fourth quarter. Um, operating earnings for the year rose to th- uh, $37.35 billion in 2023. This was up 17% uh, from the prior year. Berkshire has now a record $167.6 billion in cash. This is a record level. It surpasses the $157.2 billion that the conglomerate held uh, in the prior quarter. So they just continue to stack the cash right now. Waiting for I mean, the we next could buy a portion of the video with that. <laughs> in his annual letter, he talked about Charlie, who passed away in November of last year, Charlie Munger. Um, he said that in 1965, Charlie once advised him, Warren, 
Forget about buying another company like Berkshire. Now that you're in control of Berkshire, add to it wonderful businesses purchased at fair prices. Give up on buying fair businesses at wonderful prices. So in other words, abandon, abandon everything that you learned from your hero, Ben Graham. That's what uh, Ben, you know, Ben Graham had that whole, the cigar theory. You find a, a, a decent company that's um, priced terribly. You can get one or two puffs out of that cigar before, you know, it goes away. And you make, you make your money and you move on. Charlie Munger was advising Warren Buffett at this point in time to let go of that ideology. He also talked about a sister. He said, and this is going to be an interesting one to bring up to you, Dave, given my aversion to CNBC. But he said she is sensible, very sensible, instinct instinctively knowing that pundits should always be ignored. After all, if she could reliably predict tomorrow's winners, would she freely share the valuable insights and thereby increase competitive buying? That would be like finding gold and then handing a map to the neighbors showing its location. Uh, he calls her Birdie. Her name's Berta, but he calls her Birdie. Uh, understands the power for good and bad for incentives, the weakness of humans, the tells that can be recognized when observing human behavior. She knows who is selling and who can be trusted. In short, she's nobody's fool. What do you think about that comment? <laughs> Look, man, uh, it all depends on your intentions and your uh, your 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 mission, if you will, your mission statement. So if if your mission statement is to help people be educated and try to help people make as much money as possible because you want everyone to make money, such as Chinchilla Pickin, then yes, we will freely give out that map to that gold as best we can. Um, but if you are an investment bake and you're just trying to make the money, you're not going to tell your neighbors how you're doing it because you want to make as much as possible. So you're, 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 uh, you know, your intent has a lot to do with it. As far as pundits go, I, I, you know, I get what you're saying about the pundits on CNBC and, you know, they're, they're, the, the analysts are just talking heads sometimes. And, but I, I, I let, I like new people to watch CNBC so they can see how terminology is used in real time to see how real time news affects stocks in the moment. And it's good for those purposes. And it's good if you are attempting to day trade. Um, you need that real-time news as it happens so you can make moves effectively. However, we both agree that most new people should not be day trading. Most pe new people should not be day trading, and the emotions and the illogical arguments that will be presented on a daily basis can be poisonous to a new mind in the stock market. Yeah, for the most, for somewhat, somewhat, I think. You yeah. think more than I do, but we disagree on that, but somewhat. And I, I, we're not going to gain any listeners by me telling people to turn us off. So, right. <laughs> but if I ever had the idea that this show was powerful enough to move the markets in any way, I would be extremely delusional. So I yes, no, I was using it as an example, as an example. Yeah, but there's no incentive one way or the other for our show, if we were dishonest people even, to lie to the people that listen to the show. There's no incentive yeah. there whatsoever. There may be on CNBC, although I'm not convinced that they move the markets that much anymore either, because 
the markets in the United States have just become so big since even the 2008 election. I don't I don't think that what Jim Cramer says on air even matters anymore that much. Yeah, but I mean, yeah, <laughs> I, I would give you that. And a lot of it's uh, a lot of computer trading as well, that uh, there's no people behind the buttons even so. Which is just as easy if you are a savvy long-term investor or even a savvy day trader. It's just as easy to take advantage of those computers and their mistakes as it was to take advantage of the um, of the people that were making the mistakes years and years ago. Uh, you just have to be quicker with it these days. Yep. All right. Yep. So operating for the uh, earnings for the previous three years, uh, starting in 2021, $27.6 billion, $30.9 billion for 2022, $37.4 billion for 2023. So nice growth there for the short term. Uh, he reiterates here that net earnings are useless. He says the primary difference between net earnings, which are the mandated figures, and the one that Berkshire prefers is that we exclude unrealized capital gains or losses that at times can exceed $5 billion a day. So if you're tracking, so they don't include that in their uh, earnings, or they don't look for that in companies' earnings. Like, the, which one are we talking the, about? I don't think they look for it that much in companies' earnings. They did not include it in their own earnings until 2018, when it was required of them to uh, to include it. So now, it's yeah, and I don't think you. Sorry, I, I don't think you should include that in earnings because it's unrealized gains, and that could slip away very easily and quickly if you haven't sold and you know, realize those gains. Yeah. So yeah, it, to me, it's like, you should not be included. Not until you actually sell and take your profit. So for, I think it was 2020, the year of COVID, I believe it was, if you would have just looked at the net earnings for the company, it would have been negative $30 billion. And not the opposite. Right. So yeah, I mean, that's a big difference. Yeah. So he starts talking about like kind of the, um, the casino mentality of the market these days. And he says, I can't remember a period since March 11th, 1942, the date of his first stock purchase that he has not had a majority of his net worth in equities. And so far so good. Uh, he said the Dow Jones industrial average fell below $100 on that first day that he uh, invested in it. Um, and that's when he pulled the trigger. He was down about $5 by the time school was out. Um, soon he said things turned around and now that the index hovers around $38,000 or 38,000 points, um, America has been a terrific country for investors. All they've needed to do is sit quietly and listen to no one. So kind of going back to that turn off the pundits. Yeah. I mean, I, I get why he says it. Yes. Turn off the pundits. Um, and, and you know, don't, there, there is a lot of noise out there. I'll put that. I'll put it this way. It's a lot of noise out there and a lot of bad information, right? Yeah. And a lot of people just trying to, uh, you know, nowadays you can you can make money by having uh, viewers, subscribers, and so you're just trying to be hyper, you know, blowing things up beyond what they need to be blown up for for your TikTok or for your Instagram or what have you. Especially on TikTok, you always see people out there with charts behind them saying, "Look." Look at this. This is what you know. We could have done together. I'm like, what? you didn't show you didn't show me a week ago where you actually bought that. You yeah. know, you're just showing me a chart after it's gone up. You didn't buy that. Right. You're claiming that you you knew this ahead of time. You didn't. You're a liar. 
Right. And most of them are liars and I have no respect for them. Um, but yeah, you see a lot of the noise out there is what I'll call it. Not pundits. I'll call it noise. And you have to learn how to filter the noise. And that's what, that's what we, our mission is. How do we teach people how to filter the noise so they know what's good information and what's bad information? And I, I just, the only thing I would say to that, Brandon, is if you don't know, then don't listen to it at all. Yeah, that's that's kind of my thought on it too. And and there's been a, a number of, of pundits that I've noticed on the networks um, that, you know, maybe 15 years ago they were telling you to buy NVIDIA. And then um, now they're saying, well, 15 years ago I told you to buy NVIDIA, but you don't pay attention to the fact that, you know, they told you to so sell at its lows multiple times throughout the past 15 years and then buy back in again at the highs and then sell again and, and such. Um, and he's arguing here in this quote, he's arguing kind of against, uh, against what we know as FOMO. He doesn't use those words, but he's arguing against it. He said that, uh, if he's missed one and he's missed plenty opportunities here, another always comes along. Yeah. I mean, you can't, you, you don't want to, you don't want to chase the dragon as we call it on this show. Uh, a stock has already moved up. Um, it's now beyond what the valuation was was good at, and so now you're like, well, it's going to continue, right? So I should buy in, uh, chasing a dragon, fear of missing out, whatever you want to call it. Um, yeah, it's it's not a good not a good strategy to have if you haven't done your research. Right. He said Berkshire has now by far the largest generally accepted practice net worth, a gap net worth, recorded by any American business. Um, record operating income and a strong stock market stock market led to a urine figure of $561 billion. Yeah. That um, is nice. How much are their dividends? That's why I always like hearing is like the billions of dollars Berkshire Hathaway gets in dividends each year. Yeah, I was going to say they get the dividends, but they don't actually pay dividends out to shareholders of Berkshire. They repurchase shares, which is what Buffett yeah. do. Um, but a lot of that, you know, Occidental Petroleum, which he addressed that in the... Um, in the letter, Dave, you're actually going to, if you want to read about Occidental Petroleum there, he talks a lot about oil, which I don't quite understand, so I'm not bringing it up on the show. <laughs> uh, but it, but there's a lot of it in the letter, so if you're interested. Yeah, uh, I might have to read the letter now. I, I knew you were going to cover this, so I didn't read the letter at all. I was going to allow you to bring me the information for us to discuss, but go ahead. Keep going. He said, outside the United States, there are essentially no candidates that are meaningfully uh, meaningful options for capital deployment currently at Berkshire. He does currently own five Japanese stocks, though. Okay, so he already, he's already invested in the ones he believes in. Yeah, Got it. Yeah. So that includes uh, Itochu, uh, Mirubini, Mitsubishi, Mitsui, and Sumitomo. Nice. Um, he said, indeed, markets can and will unpredictably seize up or even vanish. And he's talking about these as opportunities. These situations are opportunities for him. Keep in mind, Berkshire has $167 billion in cash right now. They are well prepared for these kind of opportunities to arise and to um, come out on the other end much stronger. So once again, indeed, markets can and will unpredictably seize up or even vanish as they did for four months in 1914 for a few days in 2001 after 9-11. Uh, if you believe that American investors are now more stable in the past, think back to September of 2008. Speed of communication and the wonders of technology that facilitate the instant worldwide communication also facilitate instant worldwide paralysis. 
It, it does. And it goes. So what he's basically saying is it's going to continue to happen these moments in time and they're just going to happen faster and deeper because of all the instant communication. So everything's instant now, boom, some news hits the wire, everybody starts selling and then everybody starts talking about selling and more selling and more selling. The computers get involved and they start selling and it's going to happen faster. But those are opportunities to find great companies that didn't deserve to be sold. Um, and I give the example back in uh, uh, COVID, uh, oil dropped down to like nothing, right? Uh, this was still one of my favorite trades I've ever made. And uh, it was ExxonMobil. And I bought an option on it that expired in November, but I bought it like for pennies. And I put like just, I put a lot of money into it and uh, ended up making a, a killing off of it. I think it was, I ended up making a close to 100 times. Wow. 100 times what I put in. Yeah. Something like, it was some outrageous number. I have to go back and look at my trades, but uh, yeah, because it, it just the by the by the time it got close to November, uh, Exxon Mobil was because uh, it when I bought the option there at like thirty, they were already back up to about eighty by the time November happened, and I knew oil wasn't going to go away. Like Exxon Mobil wasn't disappearing. Um, we're not going to quit using oil just because we stopped for one month. Um, so you know when you when you see the whole market crash, you look for opportunities of strong companies that didn't deserve to be hit. Yeah, well, let me tell you something else that should get our attention, uh, and, and maybe more people more intelligent than me should be paying attention to this. Just the other day, there was five to six hours, and this is not about you know communication and people telling other people to sell, but there were about five to six hours where about half of Americans didn't have access to a cell phone. And how many of us do trades on the stock market with our cell phones these days? Or by oh, a lot of us, yeah. a lot of us, yeah. Our cell phones. So what happens if that's a much worse problem and it turns out to be more serious? And, and what if it is a situation where there's a cyber attack or cyber terrorism or whatever, and it takes out our communication for a week? Even if half of Americans lose cell phone service and the other half have it, that's still going to cause a really big problem, right? So that's something that else that technology could um, paralyze society as far as that goes. Now, that's going to be an opportunity for investors that, you know, can come home and jump on their computers and buy stock. That's going to be an opportunity for us. But um, it's another way, you know, another reason that the stock market could crash sometime in the future. Are you buying AT&T? No. They dropped a, a good amount. Well, they dropped, what, 10%? I'll have to look at it. I thought they dropped like 10%. Yeah, the, yeah. so, I mean... That was an opportunity. I don't know if I would have bought it. I don't really follow AT and T. Did they still own HBO or did they sell no. that? Off? Yeah, they sold Maybe that. Why they had a stake in it at least? Yeah, they had a stake in it. Um, they still do the they they've all uh, they own like the landlines in certain cities and uh, internet and uh, so they they their AT and T has a, a lot of different parts to that company. Yeah, there is for sure. Um, going on as far as the possibility of opportunities arising, not crashes, but opportunities. Today's act active participants are neither more emotionally stable nor better taught than when I was in school. This is what he said. For whatever reasons, markets now exhibit far more casino-like behavior than they did when I was young. The casino now resides in many homes and daily attempts the occupants. Think of Dogecoin. Think, and by the way, that tempted me and I made money on it. But so I can't complain too much. Uh, the GameStop uh, meme stock, you know, frenzies, all of that stuff. These are all things too 
that you know if, if they if they infect the blue chip market and you know we all overreact to the downside savvy investors step in and take take the opportunity to find the gold that's raining from the skies so to speak yeah and it, it it goes back to the old adage here. I feel like we're preaching here right on this episode right now. I feel like we're just sitting here preaching. But uh, uh, what Warren Buffett's talking about in that part of the letter is, you know, he's he's talking about people nowadays. They don't want to invest and build up over time and have a stable growth and build up to millions and take a number of years to get there. People want there tomorrow. They want me. They want to put in 50 bucks now and then next month they're a millionaire. And it's like, you know, I – there's just the chances of that happening are slim and none. Yeah. <laughs> I'm not saying it's impossible because sure enough, somebody someday will probably find a way to do it. Luck with majority of it luck, but I'm just saying it's slim and none. And I would not put your hopes on that. It, I, I would, you know, focus on long-term yeah. investment. And then he also talked about a sister again, who supposed, or I guess apparently is a legendary investor in her own right. And um, what got her to that point when she was 46 years old, up to that point, she'd been trading stocks. She'd been trading uh, regularly treasuries and stocks. And then she decided to, I think it was some treasuries, if I remember correctly. She kept some of those. Um, and then she just made one move and she bought into Berkshire Hathaway finally 46 years ago. And she's done nothing ever since. She has not made a single move in the stock market ever since. And she is very rich from her own investments. Yeah, see, if you invest wisely, I mean, uh, you you can do a lot of great things. Yeah, and for her, I mean, it was more obvious because it was her brother running an incredible company. But uh, Warren Buffett uh, ended the letter here um, saying, uh, actually, I don't know if this was at the end, but this is the last thing I have to say about it. When you find a truly wonderful business, stick with it. Patience pays. And one wonderful business can offset the many mediocre decisions that are inevitable. His, I like it. Good, good words of wisdom. His other, his other piece of advice was to avoid um, permanent capital loss. So do your best to avoid serious mistakes, which would involve permanent capital loss of money. You know, you're always going to have money that you lose, right? But then you can then, you know, make the decision to move out of that losing investment and buy into something else that makes you money back. Um, so avoid basically investments going to zero, is what he's saying. Yeah. Yeah, good good advice. I like it. Brandon's not bringing much today. Good thing uh, I got some heat coming. Got some heat coming. You ready? I don't. He's gonna find my mouse here. One second. Oh, he, he's got it. Yeah, know, go ahead. I want to say one once again to our listeners: we are not the most tech savvy individuals, um, but we do our best. <laughs> All right, here's here's what I got for you. So uh, uh, there was this uh, lunar landing uh, that happened earlier this week. So. I, I, I was watching it all week because the stock was moving up. It was, uh, I think, about a month ago. The stock was uh, for this company was trending at, at around like three bucks, maybe two, three bucks. And it was slowly moving up. And then the day of the of the uh, supposed of when they were meant to land, it was it was sitting around nine bucks a share. And uh, I was watching. I was watching the news on it. And then. Actually, I was out to dinner with a friend of mine who uh, he's starting to learn how to invest and he's starting to learn different things. And and we're sitting there and I was showing him and we we had our phones out. We're watching the stock. And I said, you know, you should probably buy some of this uh, right now because it actually landed on the moon. And this stock, you know, people are going to get emotional. They're going to send the sky high. You're going to make some quick money. And um, 
sure enough, so we started watching it, and it went all the way up to twelve bucks and some odd uh, uh, a share. So you would have made over thirty percent there in about an hour, if uh, he had. Uh, but he he didn't know how to do uh, aftermarket trading. <laughs> it, it's it's I get it's a new if you're new that's hard to figure out how to do yeah. that bid ask and get that right price and do it quickly. It's hard. I get it. I've done it multiple times, so for me, I, it's not a big deal. But it stock went up, right? You know, private company landed uh, a ship on on the moon. Had some some help from NASA. We'll get into that in here in a minute, but. Uh, it was all big news, went up to like 12 bucks a share. And I said, ah, it's too high now because he was starting to figure it out. I said, it's too high. I think we miss it. You don't chase a dragon. It's already gone up. Yeah. Right? So uh, yesterday, um, yesterday uh, during the, the market, that was Thursday evening. So Friday during the course of the day, uh, it was still went up right away. It came back down, then went right back up to about close to 12 bucks again. And then it came down again because the CEO of this lunar uh, uh, company, uh, it's Intuitive Machines, is the name of the company, Intuitive Machines. The CEO said that uh, it landed, but it tipped over. <laughs> so it's on a side, this, this, this lander on there. So um, it's a 14-foot uh, lander. Uh, they got antennas that they were intended to enable communication in the South Polar region, right? That's where uh, NASA's looking at here. So Odysseus is the name of the lander. Um, it's the first time a U.S. Uh, U.S. has landed in over 50 years. Um, they wanted to target the South Pole because NASA is looking at trying to send astronauts to the South Pole of the Moon for some reason. Uh, and so this lunar lander was, um, you know, NASA funneled some money into it as well, just so that they could get good pictures and readings from this area of the Moon. Um, but. After he announced it, the stock went right back down again. So in in a swing of pretty much seventy two hours, it went from like six seven bucks up to twelve, back down to nine, up back up to twelve, and then back down to where it's, where it closed at a little a little around seven bucks a share. It's crazy swings. If you're a day trader, it's a dream come true. Make quick money one way or another. Um, maybe if you know when to hit that twelve bucks a share, you could have put a put option in and made money on Friday off of that. Who knows, man? But uh, it was a, a fun thing to see. But um, I let me let me talk more about uh, intuitive machines and uh, this lunar lander a little bit more. Um, so shares of intuitive machines they gained two hundred sixty percent this last month as the build up to this uh, lunar landing was happening. So it was actually a good stock to own a month ago before they actually landed. So it launched from Florida just last week, uh, took an extra lap around the moon because they were having some trouble with um, their uh, guidance systems. But NASA stepped in and helped them out with their guidance system with lasers that NASA had put on there for other purposes. And they were using it to help guide it in. Um, so with that help, they took that extra lap around the moon. Then they landed uh, but they were landed tipped over. Um, they expected to continue operations for uh, about nine to ten days, and then uh, they don't they don't expect it to work after that. Uh, the lunar shares ended up uh, closing um, around at six dollars and fifty five cents after hours on Friday. So that's where it actually ended up closing at. So a bad ending to a week that was meant to be a great week for this company. Um, I don't see, I mean, I get that NASA gave him 118 million for this. And, you know, I'm sure there was other companies that gave him money to build this and send it there. 
I, I don't know if I would call this a failure, but uh, I, I, don't, I don't see a reason really cause for it to run up 260% in, in a month. Going no, up into- no, that's the casino mentality we were just talking about. Right. I mean, I, I don't see the viability of profits and, and net income from continuing to do this on the moon unless like all of a sudden we get to the moon and we find, you know, I, I, I don't know, some rare metal that we need to uh, continue space travel. Then, OK, you know, now now it's worth it. But uh, for right now, what what they have, I mean, it's I don't know. I don't see the value in, in purchasing this this stock right now. But it was a fun day trade, a fun uh, thing to see. Yeah, none, no value at all, in in my opinion, whatsoever in buying. I don't know about at all. I mean, you're gonna get some money from NASA and other companies to put like antennas and special things on your on your lander. So I mean, there is some money involved in it, but uh, I I mean, I I don't think it deserved a 260 percent increase at all. <laughs> you're still with at all. You're staying there, still okay? Right until it proves otherwise. Until it, can, it proves it can continue going. Well, I mean, yeah. All right, so if you're listening, take a look at it. L-U-N-R is the ticker. Um, Intuitive Machines is the name of the company. See if you think there's any future here for further travels. Do they have any positive go. earnings right now, or are they losing it? Are they losing money? No, I mean it's a it's a new. Uh, come on now, it, you don't you don't have uh you don't you're not uh what is it profitable for your first five years as a company? Come on, but now. if you're gonna go no public, then maybe you should be. I mean, I, Amazon wasn't. Amazon wasn't, but how Tesla many wasn't, are? Tesla wasn't profitable for years. How many Amazons and Teslas though are there? This is, and this is why I stayed away from Amazon, but you know, and, and it, you could look back and say that was a mistake, but how many other companies have I stayed away from and other people and Warren Buffett, for example, stayed away from that would have went to zero. You know what I mean? What was meta profitable first? No, it wasn't. So, I mean, okay. I mean, you're not profitable when you first start. Yeah. But if you're an investor, you're kind of taking a shot in the dark if you're going to go long on one of these companies a lot of the times. Not all the time, but a lot of the times you're taking a shot in the dark, and oftentimes you miss. All right. Fair enough. Fair enough. All right, so let's go in here. Next story I have for you, Brandon. Um, this one's kind of interesting, and I don't really fully understand it myself, but I want to put this out here as uh, as, as something for people to think about, right? Mm-hmm. So this uh, came across Bazinga. It was this morning, 8, 11 a.m. This article came out, and it really caught my attention from the headline. So the headline reads, forget AWS storage. So it's Amazon's storage services, which you know powers a lot. The NFL uses Amazon storage services and other major companies. So it says, forget AWS storage. D-Pen storage is the new crypto trend, and it's pumping hard. So that that the headline alone, I said, okay, <laughs> you, you hooked me. I got to read this article now. I got to see what are you talking about? What is D-PIN? And, and what does this have to do with cryptocurrency? I mean, so basically uh, D-PIN is a decentralized physical infrastructure networks. Um, uh, so they're in vogue. So Filecoin, uh, FIL, uh, it's up 40% this week. It has a lot to do with D-PIN. Um, it's an deep in has been called quote unquote, the next big frontier, a hot narrative for the bull run and quote, uh, is also shaking up the crypto world. These are all quotes. And I, I did, I, 
at the end of this, I disagree with all of these. Okay, good. Right? Because everything you're saying is exactly the reason why I would want nothing to do with it. <laughs> exactly, right? So I disagree with these. But I want to go in and give you some information first. I don't want to just say this is awful. Let's let's figure out what this is, right? Um, so you know, there's a lot of a lot of uh, uh, analysts on, on this. Uh, there's Mississauri. Uh, they did a report on DPN. Um, there's over 650 live DPN projects currently, uh, with a market capitalization over 20 billion and av- annual re- uh, recurring revenue of over 15 million. I don't know how you get a market capitalization. Billion. Yeah, that's yeah. A, right. <laughs> Go ahead, say it. You say it. 20 billion market cap. The market is currently valuing this. $20 billion with $15 million total revenue. And, and you have, there is no, no rational argument here whatsoever for that. And then beyond that, when Fidelity and the other analysts and, 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 and people who are trying to sell you their services try to sell you that rational market or uh, rational market idea, you know, where they're trying to say, oh, you need a professional investor to take care of your, business because anytime you have an idea that you should buy a company or short it then other people have already had the idea well it turns out that a lot of people in the market are really dumb yeah right yes yeah the math isn't math in here 20 billion market cap with with 15 million annual revenue doesn't make sense anyways uh so they aim to drive revenue through utility rather than speculation. <laughs> Laughable. Um, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. I want to retract myself. It's the efficient market theory. It, there you goes go. Up against it completely. Go ahead. Sorry. All right. So uh crypto there's been crypto venture capital firms, they've already invested one billion collectively in DPIN. So the my problem with these crypto uh venture capital firms here, here's my biggest problem with this. The, these people who run these firms, they believe firmly that they are the smartest people in the world. Why? Because all the people who run these firms are like Sam Brinkman in that they they got into these cryptocurrencies years ago, and they owned a ton of them, and it made them a lot of money. So now they firmly believe that every move that they make is just as smart as that. And I'm like, you got lucky. You know, you're not making smart decisions with the money you earned off of that investment in those coins years and years and years ago. You're making poor investments with it, and you think you're so smart because you did great with Bitcoin back in the day. Well, well, they're really good salesmen. They're really bad investors, but they're really good salesmen. So right now, they look like they're good investors, but as Warren Buffett would say, the tide will recede, and we'll see who's swimming naked. Right. So here you go. More into this. What what does it what does it actually do, right? What does it actually do? So they generate on-chain revenue through the provision of network resources and services to consumers, developers, and agents. So basically they're selling their network resources or they're selling their ability to store information online using a web approach of different systems, is what they're basically doing. Um, a storage services. Um, so Filecoin, the company that's really m- most attached to this, to DPIN, they've made the most progress integrating real-world Web2 data storage. They launched a virtual machine in 2023 to en- uh, enable to compute over stored data. So it's going to get your computer, their computers are computing, doing normal tasks over stored data so that you don't lose the stored data. But usage has been slow to grow beyond typical crypto cases. So nobody's using this except for the crypto community. Um, 
But the recent 40% price pump has come on news that Filecoin would host the history of the Solana blockchain, which is has some real world real world use. Solana blockchain has become like the number three cryptocurrency behind um, Bitcoin and Ethereum. Now, if you're going to host the whole history of Solana, you need a lot of storage. So this would make sense that you're going to use this deep end network and Filecoin would be a great uh, 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 cryptocurrency to invest in if this was all going to work out. So Filecoin, arguably Deepin's biggest success story, they've earned a cumulative $23.8 million in fees. So uh, compare that to the protocol's $2.9 billion market cap. Wow. So $23 million in fees. Uh, so, I mean, they're generating revenue, um, but it's just not a lot here. And it's just not enough to make me want to invest. Yeah, and here's the great thing about this me not being so technologically savvy for example i don't have to be technolo technologically savvy or even be able to to say it right to be able to read a balance sheet i i don't need to know the technological jargon to be able to read a balance balance sheet tells me the whole story it does it does and so i will give this author on bazinga uh some credit here the last uh couple lines of this article here's some of the things that they have to say you ready Fundamentals do not live up to the valuations, <laughs> and this is nothing new in this space. Uh, it, it also says critics like Lyron Shapira have made the case that Deepin's utility and appeal is wildly exaggerated. But that here's here's the kicker, Brandon. You ready? Mm -hmm. But that does not mean valuations cannot go higher. <laughs> I mean, they always it, can. It should though. It should mean it doesn't go any higher. It should, right. but it, it, it's just the state where we're in right now. Um, but like I said, it's nothing new. Buffett saw it back in the day, but now it's more faster. Everything's yeah. faster, and sure. so uh, these valuations go skyrocket. It makes headlines like this. People get in, they put their last thousand bucks they have in their account that they need to pay rent next month into this thing, and it's going to make them a million. They lose it, and now they're in you know money trouble. I can't remember who it was. I think it might have been Ben Graham that was telling the story of the uh, Great Depression, the stock market crash of 1929, and, and and whoever this was, I can't like I said, can't remember who it was, but they got out just in time. And he said that his big, um, that the big hint that he got that things were getting terribly overvalued and that things were starting to become too much like a casino and such was that he went to go get his shoes shined and there was a boy, a teenage boy, that gave him a stock tip. <laughs> yeah right maybe it's time to exit the markets yes when that many people are playing it it must be too yeah. good you know and it's funny because we get the most listeners when the market's doing bad right isn't that usually when it happens when there's yeah, a big drop in the market when everything's doing good everybody's making money and they don't feel like they need to take advice but when things are going bad all of a sudden they're like well maybe i should listen to somebody yeah yeah it's crazy also, how that works. You know, when I was when I was a little bit younger in my um, investing career, hobby, whatever you want to call it, um, I used to, when things weren't going so well in my portfolio, I would go back to Warren Buffett and, or go back to podcasts of people that I knew that I could trust um, and listen to, um, you know, uh, Oak Tree Capital's podcast or, or to uh, somebody talking about Warren Buffett just to get my mind right again. 
And um, at, when I was younger and, and a little bit more emotionally inclined and, and, you know, losses would play with my mind a little bit, make me upset or frustrated, going back to those people and remembering the basics, that's what always calmed me down and brought me back in. So I think hopefully some of the listeners find use in that as well. Right. All right. So last article here, it was on CNBC, published by Alex Sherman on CNBC. The headline reads, Warner Brothers Discovery is hyping free cash flow. And investors do not appear to be buying it. So what is he talking about? So Warner Brothers Discovery CEO David Zaslov has harped on free cash flow generation, but it's unclear if investors even care. The Warner Brothers Discovery on Friday said it ended the year with $6.2 billion in free cash flow. That's up from 86% a year prior. Pretty good impressive there, right? Well, the company shares fell 10% on Friday, and they're down about 45% over the past year. And that's because they are not meeting on top line or bottom line numbers. They are paying off debt and they are creating more free cash flow. So it's, it, it's, he said last year at this time, he said that that would be his focus and he made it his focus and he did that. But if you're not growing your revenue and you're not, uh, not even growing, if you're not hitting your targets on your revenue or your profit, then it's it doesn't matter if you have free cash flow, Brandon. No, it's it, it's a show me stock at this point. You know, it's it's one of those like you're gonna have to show me that you've changed for the better. Um, Disney was uh, that way. General Electric, which I invested in um, at like seventy dollars a share, that that was a show me stock as well. The difference between General Electric and um, and Disney and Warner Brothers is that Disney and General Electric had very great, viable, incredible businesses uh, that they were running. They were just terribly mismanaged. And um, there was a change in leadership. Bob Iger went back to Disney. Larry Kolb went back to um, General Electric. Those things haven't happened at uh, Warner Brothers. Um, but uh, And I'm not really sure that a lot of their business is completely sustainable for the future. Um, right. And so your I mean, is dying. Yeah. Well, yeah. And uh, you, they have the uh, Max uh, streaming service where you can subscribe to. I actually subscribe to Max, um, but uh, they're not adding tens of millions of Max subscribers, which is what people are looking for. They want yeah. more subscribers. Um, but the CEO, Zaslav's uh, Zal argument, what he's saying here is that he needed to get the company's balance sheet in shape first. Now he's going to focus on growth in 2024. And that's a long view to have in this day and age where people want results a little bit quicker, even Bob Iger. But you, like you said, Disney actually had good products that are being ran poorly, but he turned around Disney fairly quickly. So should you give uh, Zazlov, uh, should you give the CEO more time considering he's done what he said he would do and now he's saying that he's going to focus on growth this year. Brandon, thoughts? I don't know. I don't know about this one, to be honest with you. Um, not afraid to admit when um, I'm out of the loop on it. And I'm out of the loop on Warner Brothers, personally. Gotcha. Well, he his uh, bonus uh, was tied to creating free cash flow. So he got paid his bonus because he created the free cash flow. And I think there's a lot to do with it. I think if they're actually going to have a chance this year, they need to make their bonuses tied to actually growth and subscribers, subscriber just, growth. Just giving it a glance over, they're losing money right now. They're not yeah. a profitable company. 
Yeah, yeah. Like I said, they didn't. They didn't. Even, they did not hit. They lost on top line, bottom line, all over. They're just. He's paying off debt, and he created free cash flow. That's his two big yeah. wins. And when I bought into General Electric, they were losing money too. They were. So, I mean, it could turn around for Warner Brothers, but um, like I said, I just don't see the viability of their current business model. I just don't. Agreed. All right, man. So that is all I've had, uh, but uh, go ahead with your final thought first, Brandon, and then I'll get into mine. I really didn't have a final thought lined up. Why We did this show 148 times now. This is the 148th <laughs> episode, and I, I don't have a final thought for it. Other than um, just read that letter, that 16-page letter. I know it's 16 pages, but it's a great read. Um, and go back and read as many of those letters as you can that Warren Buffett's issued to shareholders. They're always great. They always make you kind of go back to the fundamentals in your investing and uh, you know your your financial lifestyle. And they tell a lot of history too. Here's one. Here's one piece of inter- interesting um, information that I warned. I, I learned from the shareholder because this. This letter is not always, you know, boring numbers. Um, it's actually kind of a, a depressing um, statistic, so I probably shouldn't share this, but whatever. One person every day, on average, in the United States of America decides to commit suicide by laying in front of a train. Yeah, this podcast just went in a different direction, didn't it? But the, yeah, what, what, That's your final thought, really. So, yeah. All right. to relate this back to what he's talking about it's very hard to get um engineers in the railroad industry and railroad workers right now because of the kind of stress that they have to put up with in their jobs gotcha all right that's where buffett was going with that all right so my final thought is palo alto networks here's why uh, here's why i'm bringing this up right now earlier this week uh they had uh, bad horrible guidance uh going forward and so they dropped right um, it's a uh, decent company. Um, I've I've always looked at them as one to go to outside of CrowdStrike for cyber cybersecurity, and that's an area that's going to continue growth. However, they gave poor guidance going forward. Stock dropped a lot. I went ahead and immediately uh, went ahead and bought and said, "Hey, this went down too far too fast." Um, within one day, I'd already made three percent, and I sold and got out. I should have held on a little bit longer because the very next day on Friday went up another 5%. So I could have held out and made 8% in just two days. The point I'm making is that they had bad guidance going forward. I didn't believe they need. I thought they were oversold. They didn't need to go down that far. My valuation, when you look at the actual fundamental of the numbers, was that it needed to be a little higher off of the low that it dropped to. So I bought and believe in that. Um, when you see these, these are opportunities to make some uh, good uh, money off of a good, strong company that's been around that just has some bad macroeconomic news. So look out for those. I give that as an example. Palo Alto Networks was the one I chose. Um, I am still holding Tesla. I still believe in that company. Um, I don't know why it's it's gone down to 191. It should have gone back up now since everybody got the news of the recalls, which was really hidden. I haven't heard anything more about it. You saw it across every headline, 2.2 million cars recalled. But then when they found out it was just a software update, all of a sudden it went dark and nobody knew about the software update, um, which I, I find very upsetting because Tesla deserves to be higher than what it is now. Um, 
So that's just one I'm still holding. So if you're holding it, just hold it with me. I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't buy unless it dips some more. Then buy and lower your cost basis. Nova Nordis still, it's still going up for me. That's up now 23%, 24, 25% since I bought it. Um, I'm going to continue to hold that. I firmly believe that's a solid chance to uh, double from when I bought it last year before the end of this year. So still believe that. I'm still saying it. Um they they are they're doing the right thing. So that's all I'm leaving with. Here's what I want to say. I'm going to give you a better final thought. All right. All right. Go ahead. If you are an investor that is into any of that technological crypto, whatever stuff that Dave was talking about earlier, that does things I don't understand, um, give me your information because I would like to sell it to some pre-America agents. <laughs> Pre-America, the pre-American people. Yeah. Yeah. Right. <laughs> oh man, I see those people everywhere. Yeah. All right. There you go. All right. So uh, thank you for listening. As always, we hope we've been entertaining, educational, and uplifting because we want everyone to make money. Have a good night. Have a good night.